Let's get started with a word of prayer, and then we'll uh, get into class. Dear God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the many blessings you give us, and we thank you for the freedom and the opportunity that we have to come and worship you, to, to ha have a class and study your word, Lord, and just have the freedom that we have to go out and take what we learn to, and take it to other people. Lord, I ask you, please be with all those who are sick and need our prayers. We especially ask for your prayers over Peyton. That we, if we've continued to pray for him, we just ask that you continue to allow him to get better and get over this cancer that he has, and that way he can go on and, and just kind of be a normal boy and, and live his life that way. Lord, we thank you for everything that you do for us, and it's in Christ that we pray. Amen. All right, so just a real quick review. We, um, we've kind of traveled, we spent the last two weeks traveling through the Old Testament looking at God's uh, covenant with the uh, with the with the is um, the Jewish people, uh, the things that He established, uh, the the temple and, and why it was established, and how originally it wasn't actually it was David's idea, and God said, "No, hey, I really don't need this," but they did it anyways. And and so I, one of the things I like about that is even though we do things that God hasn't, you know, really plan for us to do really doesn't want us to do he's still going to take the things that we do and, and use them for good and so we see that out of the temple we see that out of a lot of the things through the old testament that he does so again this series is called new being the new that jesus is and we're going to really start to dive we're going to we're going to finish up a little bit on the temple today and then we're going to really start diving in and looking at the new uh, that jesus brought into the new testament time and the world at that time so and, and to go back to the the verse that we've been uh, we're going to stick around with this is Revelations 21.5. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Right, for those words are faithful and true. And like, I, like I've said, and I'll repeat this, is this is an ongoing process. This, he is continually making things new. It's not a, I have made things new. It's, a, it's an ongoing process. And so we're going to continue to look at that. All right, so going back, we finished that, you know, the 400-year period, basically, between the, the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament was just kind of like a, a dark age. No, no more prophets really come on the scene. Nothing really happened. And then Jesus come on the scene. And then we're going to look at what starts happening around, around the temple when Jesus starts his ministry. So the temple in this time was a very big deal. It was, it was a huge. It was the centerpiece of their entire, well, that entire town, a city of Jerusalem, the entire religion, everything centered around the temple. But the problem was it was full of corruption. At Jesus' time, by the time they had come, they had set so many crazy laws and done so many things. Things They were stealing from people. They were just, it was, it was horrible. And, and Jesus called them out on that. Uh, you'll, if you look in Matthew 23, I'm not going, we're not going to have time to read it, and we'll talk about it here in a little bit more. But if you go back and read Matthew 23, he really just, insults them, calls them whitewashed tombs, and, and just all kinds of horrible things he says about them. But they hated him so much because of the things that he did around the temple and, and their system that he was basically coming in and, and upheaving and, and going against that they actually plotted to kill him. And this was one of the main reasons why they wanted to kill him because he was challenging their system that they had set up. And then he was saying things that just basically like we've looked at in the past, that he was God and greater than these things. So they, they had good reason why they wanted to, to kill him because in their mind, this guy's coming in and 
trying to take away their power and, and, and upset their, their rule and all that stuff. So Jesus was the new that came in, and it, and it really, like I said, upset a lot of the systems that they had going on. And one of the things we see, so many Christians today, we see Jesus as an extension of the Old Testament, right? It's like, well, we had the Old Testament, and then came along Jesus, and he was an extension of, 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 of the of Bible. And actually, he was more than extension. He was actually coming to replace or be an instead of. So he was coming to, to fulfill the law, the old law, and to establish something completely new. And the, the, the leaders of that time, they, they understood some of the things that he was saying and, and what he was talking about, and they were very offended by it, and they were very concerned. And you see that. That's why they plotted to kill him over, you know. I mean, if, how do I say this? If he was not who he said he was, then they would have just kind of ignored him and, and gone on. But he was so powerful and his influence was so great that they got to the point of, you know, we need to get rid of this guy. We need to kill him for, for doing what we look at and be like, well, these are just stupid things. Why would someone want to kill him for it? But if we look in Matthew, and this is one of the, this probably for the, for the Jewish people at the time, was one of the most offensive things that, that Jesus ever said to them. If we look in Matthew 12, verses 1 through 8. At about the time that Jesus was walking through some grain fields on the Sabbath, his disciples were hungry, so they began breaking off some heads of grain and eating them. But some Pharisees saw them do it and protested. Look, your disciples are breaking the law by harvesting grain on the Sabbath. Jesus said to them, haven't you read in the scriptures what David did? When he, when he and his companions were hungry, he went into the house of God and he, he and his companions broke the law by eating the sacred loaves of bread that only the priests were allowed to eat. Now pay attention to these next two. And haven't you read in the law of Moses that the priest on, on duty in the temple may work on the Sabbath? I tell you, there is one here who is even greater than the temple. This was just blasphemous to them. And they knew, he was, they, were, they knew he was talking about himself. So he's letting them know, and we're going to dive into this a little more. He's letting them know, look, I'm greater than the temple that y'all are talking about, that these rules where everything is, where God himself at that time was supposedly had taken up residence. He's letting them know, look, I'm greater than that. I'm greater than this big building that you see over here. And then, but then he goes on. But you would not have condemned my, uh, my innocent disciples if you knew the meaning of the Scripture. And I think we need to pay attention to this. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. For the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. So not only did he insult them by basically letting them know that he is greater than the temple, he's letting them know that I'm so great, I'm Lord over this Sabbath day, which you say I'm not allowed to work on. And so this just, you know, these, this is, I'm sure they probably started plotting to kill him by, by this time, but if they hadn't, this even just pushed them over the edge. I, I, I'm surprised we didn't see one of the stoning attempts in, in this one. Because at this time, nothing in the, in, in the history, in this town, in, in this city, in this area, in this region, nothing to them was great. Not even the Roman Empire was greater than the temple to them. It was the most important thing 
at the time it was the center of the world. In their mind, the presence of God was still there. So to claim to be greater than the, the temple deserved death. And to give you an idea of how serious they, they took the temple and how important it was to them, in 40 AD, now this is after uh, Christ's uh, crucifixion, resurrection, but in 40 AD, uh, Emperor, I'm going to try to say this correctly, I believe it was Gaius Caligula, I think is how, it, I probably butchered it, but we'll find out. Yeah, sounds good, right? He ordered a statue of himself to be placed in the Jewish temple. And he actually sent 10,000 soldiers with the, uh, with the statue to be placed in the Jewish temple. Well, on the way that they were tra traveling to take this to the temple and put it in there, thousands of Jews stopped and blocked them in protest. Now, they threatened them with violence and said, if you don't get out of the way, basically we're going to kill you. And basically they got down on their knees and exposed their necks and said, kill us. We're not going to let you put this in. They weren't going to fight them. They exposed. This is how important they exposed. Then they eventually they, they continued on a little bit. Then even more protests came around. They actually went on strike as farmers. They stopped farming, and they continued to protest them, him trying to take this statue and put it in the temple. Well, if you know anything about that time, farming was the, how this economy ran. If they didn't have their grains, if they didn't have their, their produce, then the economy shut down. They were willing to shut down their entire economy to keep this man from putting one statue of himself in the temple. That is how important it was to them. Now, things worked themselves out. The emperor was assassinated, and so that attempt stopped. But the point of this is to show you that the, the temple was a huge deal. It was a very good deal, big deal. But like I said earlier, it was full of corruption. The Jewish temple system, we're going to look at this, was, was so corrupt, and this is why Jesus eventually went in and overturned the tables and would chase people out with a whip because of how bad it actually had gotten. And... Of course, the center of most corruption is what? Money. The temple itself was actually a very lucrative business, the, the whole temple system. In that day and age, every Jewish man over 20 had to pay the temple tax. And the temple tax was about one and a half days wage. So you had, and this wasn't just the people in Jerusalem, right? So it wasn't just every, it was, it was anyone who was a Jew had to pay the temple tax at that time, once a year. So you had millions of people paying a days and a half wage to the Jewish system. They were so robust that they actually had collection centers in the large cities that they would collect all this money, and then they would, they would have armies, basically. Uh, uh, Josephus had described some of it as uh, in the thousands of people actually bringing uh, the money back to, to, the, to the temple, guarding it, and, and to, so that order to guard it. That's how much money they were carrying and bringing back. So just that alone. Well, the Roman Empire did not like the idea of their, what they considered their money from their providences going back to the Jewish temple, so they started passing laws banning the export of gold and silver, to kind of stop some of this. So what they did was the Jews um, at the time started collecting what was a th what, using the Tyrian currency. was a type of currency in that, in that area. I think it was a type of silver. But what would happen is 
No one in that area had that currency except for the, the Tyrians and the Jewish temple. So when you would come and you would visit the temple and you needed to pay your temple tax, what did you have to do? You had to exchange it. Well, who decided the exchange rate? The scribes and the Pharisees. And it was an outlandish rate. They were ripping people off. It wasn't a one-for-one deal. They were, so not only did they have them paying a tax that they had to come, when they would come to pay that tax, they had to exchange their money for the money that the temple decided to use. Uh, and here's a side note. Guess what, the, uh, guess what was on the, the money that the temple decided to use? Huh? Nope. It was a pagan symbol to a pagan god. Just a side note. So, so since no one had it, again, they were, so they were getting ripped off there. And then, not only that, they were, you had to give a sacrifice, so they were selling the cheap animals in the, in the in market. They actually have, if you, they, part of their excavation and, and looking through the temple ruins, they see, they believe they found one of the streets where they would have money changers and they would have people who would bring the animals in so you could go in and buy that animal at a ridiculous price and then go and give your sacrifice to the Lord. So they, they, they were making lucrative money in three ways in a very easy way because they really didn't have to do much to get it. So it was a very lucrative enterprise. So when you start messing with people's money, especially powerful people's money, they go after you and they try to kill you. And that's what Jesus said. But I say to you that something greater than all of this, all that you've set up, is here. And basically they knew that he was great, that he was saying that they were he was greater than that temple. But then he goes on and he makes it worse. I don't think it was around the exact same time. I don't have the exact timeline. But then he starts talking about how it's going to all be torn down. So not only is he saying, I'm greater than this temple, one day this whole thing's going to be leveled. If we look in Matthew, I'm sorry, Mark 13, verses 1 and 2. So they're in the, they're in the temple, and he's with his disciples. And as he was going out of the temple, and we're going to look at some of this here in a minute. It's, it's actually kind of neat. As he was going out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Teacher, behold, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And if you were there at the time, you probably would have said the same thing. It was, it was a beautiful, they, they've got reconstructions of it, and we're going to look at one. And, and what he said was, was true. It was a beautiful. They had done a, Herod had rebuilt the temple, and it was beautiful. But Jesus says, and Jesus said unto him, Do you see the great buildings? Not one stone will be left upon another that will not be torn down. So not only is Jesus coming in, claiming that he is bigger than the temple, more important than the temple, he's also saying, yeah, and, and it's going to be torn down. It's going to be leveled to its foundations. This was, this was a huge thing. This would be the equivalent of me touring Washington, D.C., coming outside or stepping outside the, the halls of Congress or, the, or the, the White House with a group of people and being like, see all this? It's going to all be torn down. Down to its foundation, there's not going to be anything left. Well, I'd probably get arrested for terroristic threats. And better people would think I'm crazy. One, two, or both. 
But the realization they had when they, when they see this, is this was not something that you know, one person was going to come in and do. It was going to take an army to, to do what he said was done. And so you kind of got to picture this. He says this to his disciples, and then they walk, and they actually they leave the temple, and they walk over to the Mount of Olives. And then you, you got to know that this is on the, the disciples' minds. The disciples are thinking, what in the world are you talking about? And so they ask him, when's this going to happen? And I'm not going to read all of it, but I'm going to, to hit the, the highlights in Luke 21, verses 20 through 24. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then recognize that her desolation is near. Then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains, and those who are in the midst of the city must leave, and those who are in the country must not enter the city. Because they, these are days of vengeance, so that all things which are written will be fulfilled, Woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies or nursing babies in those days, for there will be great distress upon the land and the wrath to this people. And they will fall by the edge of the sword and will be led captive into all the nations, and Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Now, a lot of people believe that this is talking about the end of days and Jesus is coming back and stuff like that, and it's not. Jesus was actually predicting something that was, this was a, a prophecy of something that's going to happen, and it's going to happen very shortly. In fact, it happened 40 years later. Uh, General, I'm going to say it is Vaspian, is how you say his name. They trapped thousands of Jewish rebels and citizens in the city of Jerusalem. And, and if you go back and look at the things that Jesus said for them not to do during this time when the army surrounded Jerusalem and all this thing, it was a warning. Because what happened was that as they came in to surround the city, it was, there was a, a Jewish fe religious festival going on, and so people were coming into the city. So what the general did was he actually escorted and protected the Jewish people into their city. He's like, I'm here. I'm going to help you. I'm going to help you get safely into your city. Guess what he did after he got everyone in the city? He shut it down, locked them in, wouldn't let anything come in, let anything come out. Well, what happens when you've got a huge, massive amount of people in a city and there's no food coming in and no way to get out? They start starving, right? And that's why Jesus talks about it. So Jesus told them, you know, if, you, if you're in, don't go into the city. Stay in the hill country. Leave the city. Because he warned them. Josephus wrote about it like this. The slaughter within was even more dreadful than the spectacle from without. Men and women, old and young, insurgents and priests, those who fought and those who in, entreated mercy, were hewn, hewn down in indiscriminate carnage. The legionnaires had to climb or clamber over heaps of dead to carry on the work of extermination. When they finally breached the city and walked in and went into the city of Jerusalem, they just killed everyone they could find indiscriminately. And then the ones they didn't kill, they took as slaves and sold into slavery, and they estimate that number was in the hundreds of thousands. And then here's what happened. Read this verse again. Do you see the great buildings? No one stone with both another. So not only did this time Titus, who was, I believe, a general in the Roman army, had taken over. So not only did they enter the 
and plunder, which is normal. They would take a city, they'd go in, they'd, they, in the, where the temples were, they'd go in and plunder them, they'd burn it. But what they did next was unprecedented. Usually they would go in and they'd, they'd burn it, but they, they didn't destroy it. Titus, who's now in command, he ordered, and I'll read this, that every stone used in the construction of the temple be torn down, dragged to the edge of the plaza, and pushed into the valley below. So Jesus his prediction of 40 years before where he looked across at that temple and let them know every single one of these stones are going to be torn down and what one stone is going to bestead on another happen 40 years later. Some of those massive stones actually remain to this day 2,000 years later. So here's what I want you to understand and I want you to look. So this is an idea of what the temple, this is a digital reconstruction of what the temple would have looked like. And this is looking at it from the Mount of Olives where Jesus was talking about these things that were going to happen. This is a massive thing. And I'm going to hope this video will play. This is going to give you an idea. This is what it looked like. It was massive. You can see people standing in it. It was huge. Some of the stones weighed as much, I believe, as I think they said 500 tons. They were some of the stones in this were massive. And I got this just repeating. So this is what they're walking out of when one of the disciples talks about how wonderful and how beautiful it is. And Jesus tells him, look, this whole thing, it's going to be gone. Not one stone is going to be left. Look at the buildings around it. Well, what does it look like to the, this day? I don't know if you can see where the, the dome of the rock is, but what you just looked at here, this whole plaza, over here to the left is the Mount of Olives, and this is what they would have been looking at. And this is what you see now. It's leveled off almost completely. They've built some things on it. That's where the Dome of the Rock is. And then if you look in the valley below and actually go down and visit in the valley below, there's the stones that Jesus was talking about. They took, and they, they took them all the way to the edge of the valley or the edge of the plaza there, and they threw them all down in the valley below so that not one stone was left in that plaza on top of the other. So, if I made a prediction that the White House and the, and the halls of Congress were going to be leveled and not a stone was going to be left on top of another, and then 40 years later, an army comes in and does that, you're going to take what I say seriously? <laughs> and this is why, this is one of the reasons why and I, I think God allowed this, well, I know if you read this, is God allowed this to happen on purpose. Because he was destroying the old system that he had set up. When he came in, when he started his ministry, he was coming in to get rid of the old system and fulfill the old system that he had set up. And he goes on at 40 years, almost 40 years after he says this and establishes his kingdom, almost probably in about 35 he completely finishes it off and destroys it. So this is where we get into the greater, which he said, I'm the greater than the temple, the new, and the better. All right? So this is where Jesus starts his new movement. He's saying things that people think he's crazy for. He's talking about things, you know, the temple. He's greater than the temple. He's saying he's God. He's saying that, you know, this is going to be completely wiped out. He's just going on and saying all kinds of crazy things, and people were following him. 
And it's interesting as we get into it, a, a lot of the things that we've, if you actually look, and we're going to talk about a little bit, a lot of the new or the old that Jesus came in and destroyed, we've tried to bring some of it back into the new. And, and we're going to look at that a little bit. Some of it's not our own fault. Some of it's, oh, sorry. So there, they, well now, I don't know, I don't, does anyone know how they, I, I don't know, they don't do the sacrifices, I don't think like they used to, I'm not sure. No, they don't have a temple, they've never rebuilt the temple. It's destroyed, they put the little dome of the rock thing, but after it was destroyed. No. No, they still, they come and they, they go to the Wailing Wall, and I, I'm not a, I haven't really studied the, the current, the new Jewish religion and how they do a lot of the things. But basically, the, once this was torn down, it never really was. That, that, the way they did things was never brought back in. And, you know, and, and, and I think for a reason, because you know, the Jews were scattered a lot. I mean, it wasn't really into the, until after World War II when we reestablished Jerusalem and Israel uh, that uh, they had a, a really anywhere to go. Yeah. A lot of the modern-day Jews believe kind of like they did back in the Old Covenant that if you're born a Jew, you're kind of automatically saved. You know, that if you, you know, as long as you're born into, you know, as long as you can trace your lineage, you know, back to Abraham, you're, you're born a Jew, you get a pass. All right, so going into the new now. So God's come in. He's destroyed the old. He's establishing his new. Now, here's what I'm going to say. And I think this, I, I say this is going to challenge you because it's challenged me. It has challenged me as I, as I dive into this and as I research a lot of these things. Because a lot of the stuff we've, we've looked at and we've learned has been in the church for thousands or for a thousand, 1,500 years. When I say the church, I mean Christian in, in general. Right, it's challenged some of my beliefs all the way up to things that I thought I believed a couple months ago. And, and we'll look at that. And so it's going to be interesting. And my goal is, is, is stick with me as I go through this. If I say something that seems extremely off to you, talk to me about it. We'll get there. I'm not going to, everything I'm going to talk, look at is going to be biblical. So I'm not going to start bringing out some kind of other code or anything like that. But my hope is, is as you see the, the, what, what, what I've, the path that I've gone down, like I've talked about, my hope is that you'll see some of this, and, and you'll see, like I said last week, we're, we're, we're off. We're, I mean, we're not, I'm, I'm not saying we're bad people. We're not trying to do what's right. I'm not, I'm not saying any of that. But what I'm saying is, is if we want to look at the New Testament church and how the New Testament church was established and what the New Testament church did, we haven't reestablished that. And, and so that, and I want us to look at that, because if, if we're going to talk about that and, and say things like that, then I want us to really look at that and see if this is really what we want to do. Because it, it's a lot different than what I call American Christianity is today. And so this is where we get into the new, and being the new that Jesus was. And here's the thing, Jesus' followers himself did not get it. They didn't get it until almost after his death, or until his resurrection. That's when they finally started to get it. They still thought 
that he was going to establish his kingdom here. He was going, they were going to, he was going to set up a throne in the temple and rule from earth. And so we've, we've, we, we see some of those type of elements sometimes get back into, into the church today. So let's, let's start looking at this. So if we go back, all these things have transpired, and then now we're in Matthew 16. Now when Jesus, um, so this is Matthew 16, verses 13 through 18. Now when Jesus had came into the district of Caesarea, Philippi, he was asking his disciples, who do, you, do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist and others Elijah, but still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Now he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. This was not something that was known to him. The only way he could have known this is if God himself had revealed it to him. And then he goes, I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. Now, we have used this verse for years to talk about the establishment of the church, right? This is where Christ builds his church upon Peter's uh, foundation, or confession, I'm sorry, and that confession that he is Christ is the foundation of the church. But here's the thing. This is the first time church appears in the Bible. But here's the other thing. It never should have. The term church should not have been placed in the Bible, in the, in the English Bible that we see today. In the English New Testament, for the most part, in most translations, especially our older translations, it is a word-for-word -word translation, meaning they would take a word and they would translate that word. The term church here is a substitution, and it's a misleading one. Church, the uh, English equivalent, is the German word, and I pronounce it Kirche. It's, it's pronounced a little bit different in the, in the German dialect. But it means house of the Lord or temple. It is referring to a physical location. Now, if anyone studied the Greek, and we're going to look at this, we, we know when we talk about this, but this word was not translated the way it should have been. It was substituted. And this is important. And the reason I say this is important, Jesus was not predicting a new house or a new temple. Now, people are going to say, well, aren't we the temple of the... Is that what you're about to say, David? Verse 20. How come he didn't want nobody to tell the people that he was Christ? I think he was still waiting for things to um, play out the way they needed to play out. He had his timing, and he didn't want this to be spread out. And I think if he continued, it may have gone differently. I don't know. He had his reasons, but I think the main reason was to allow it to play out the way that it played out. And people are like, well, Chad, you're splitting hairs over a word here. Well, this is important, because if we actually go and look at Acts 19, 
verse 32. So then, so, and, and what happened here was, uh, I believe it was Paul came in. I, I can't remember if it was Paul or Timothy. I can't remember. I'm sorry. They had come into one of the towns, and they were preaching, and they were getting rid of, um, basically going against idol worshipers and, and the guys who made their living by making the idols in that town. Was a, it was a huge town, and this is one of the main things that happened in this town. And so they were, they were destroying their industry. They were, they were hurting their industry. So they all got upset. And so, so then they were shouting in one thing and some another for the assembly. So this was translated assembly, was in confusion, and the majority did not know for what reason they had come. So if we actually had translated the word that was used in this verse the way the rest of the Bible had been translated when we've seen that word, it would have said, so then some were shouting one thing and some another, for the church was in confusion and the majority did not know what reason they had come. Well, that doesn't make sense because this was not the church that was in confusion. It was a group, an assembly of people. And that word is ecclesia. And it means gathering or assembly for a specific purpose. So if we go back and look at Matthew 16, 18, I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my assembly, my gathering, congregation is some uh, translations, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. And again, I think you'll say, well, to say there hasn't been confusion over this, when you talk about your church, what do most people think? I know the church is... But what do most people think? Okay, if I say I go to church somewhere, then they typically think of a location, of a building. We talk about all the churches. There's churches everywhere. In the south, even up north, fewer, but they're still there. So, a lot of people are like, okay, Chad, this, you're splitting hairs. This really isn't that big a deal. I think it is. So much so, who in here has heard of William Tyndale? All right, William, T okay. William Tyndale was one of the first people to translate the Greek Bible into the New Testament Bible. I'm sorry, <laughs> into the English version of the New Testament. All right? When he translated the Bible, he actually translated this word congregation, meaning assembly, group of people, of movement. Anyone know what happened to William Tyndale? He was captured, strangled, burned at the stake, and his ashes were scattered over the countryside. All four translating the Bible into English. Who was in charge at the time? the Catholic Church. And what had they done? They had brought a whole bunch of the old back into the new. Similar to what the Pharisees had done and what Jesus emptied the Bible for, they made the building, the church, the center of their religion. No. 
This is the point I'm trying to make, and this is where I'm going to get to. So what happened a few years later? What happened in the, in the, in the 15, 1600s? The Reformation. What version of the Bible came out of that? King James. So, an interesting historical fact. When they translated the King James Version of the Bible, guess what word, and this is a historical document, they were not allowed to translate other than church. Church. And some other ones. I'm sorry, I asked that question wrong. Guess what word they were not allowed to translate to gathering or to ecclesia, the true meaning of ecclesia? Church. Why would the Catholic Church and, and King James at the time, who was the head of the Catholic Church, not want that version or that, that word right there to be made known as a gathering or an assembly or group of people with a movement? Huh? Because how they looked at Jesus. How they looked at Jesus. What did they have? What was their structure? <coughs> Mary was important. Mary was important. You had the Pope and the bishops. That was another word that was not allowed to be changed. It was bishop. They had to stay in there. Instead of being overseers, they had, to, they had to keep the term bishop in there. Because everything was centered around the building and the, the leadership of that building. And so if you started saying, well, the assembly or the group of people in a movement, well, then that negates what they have set up. How much of that do we see today in American Christianity? Let me put it that way. How much importance is around our buildings? A lot more than should be. Why is it to this day, when you talk about the church, people think of the building? Right, and, and we we try to we try to fix that in, in the in the in the new in our, in our we say we talk about the lower C, lowercase church and the uppercase church, right? And we try to distinguish between the two. And we understand when we talk about the church that we know that's not the church, but but most even a lot in Christianity do not understand that. So does anyone know what? Yeah. But is it really going to matter? I think it does. That, that's, that was, that's my real point. Yeah. And then this is where I'm getting to. I, I think it does matter because if you look at American Christianity, so if I went over to China and I said I was going to church, what would China, what would they say? What would they think? Right? <laughs> One, you're going to die, right? But they understand over there what church is. Right, over here, we've established church as more of a location. We've taken God and we've shut him into a building. And, and, and for the most part, we worship him a couple hours of the week. And that's what we've established as church. Some people. But I, I, I'm not, I'm, and I'm not saying everyone in here has. But I'm talking, if you look at American Christianity, and even in, in, in what we call the, the New Testament church, we've done that still. Like I said, this is going to challenge you, and this is going to make you uncomfortable. 
All right, because God never meant, that's why he destroyed the temple, God never meant the focus of our Christianity to be what we do in this building for a couple hours a week. <laughs> because we, we well, honestly, we this has not been taught a lot. We, we talk about the ecclesia and the translation. And that's why it's, you know, a lot of people are like, well, Chad, you're really splitting hairs. That's not a big deal if we understand. But when you look at how it's permeated our culture and the church culture, it was a big deal. If they would have translated this the way they should have been translated, which would have been the gathering, Right? What was the New Testament church called in Jesus' time after he had um, resurrected? Anyone know? The way. The way. They they didn't even refer to themselves as Christians. That was a title given to them later on. They were a movement and a direction. And this is why I'm talking about the new movement that Jesus established. When we say that we have restored the New Testament church, and I say, no, we haven't, this is what I mean. And I know that might offend some people and bother some, some people. But this, it's the truth. If we look, and we're going to dive into this next week, of what that looked like. Because what we see here, the church building, the things that we do, was not part of the New Testament church for 300 years. It was not until Christianity was legalized by Constantine, that you started to see church buildings and people gathering and doing the same thing every single week in a robotic-type fashion. The church was not known for their gathering and their gathering locations. The church was known for what they did and how they treated each other. That should be. Let me ask a question. We've got three minutes. How many churches do you know, when I ask about any church in the country, how many churches would you say are known for the love they have for one another? If any. What are most churches known for? If I were to ask you, what is Cross Point known for? Charisma? All right, if I were to ask you, what is the central church of Christ known for, what would you say? (laughs) Okay, if I were to ask you, what is the Forest Park Church of Christ known for, what would you say? Okay. If I were to ask you what the Baptist Church down the road, Corinth, is known for, what would you say? If I were to ask you what is the Lake Park Church of Christ known for, what would you say? BBS. (laughs) What does the Bible say we will be known for or how they will know us as his disciples? Love for one another. How many churches in the United States are known for their love for one another? Okay. So when I said we're going to talk about the new that Jesus brought, this is what I'm talking about. And when I say this is going to challenge you, 
this is why, because as I read through this and I study this stuff, it challenges me. It makes me rethink a lot of the things that I thought I knew. Any questions or comments? We got a minute left. Joey. I would say one of the reasons why I'm here is I love another. And and to your point, I'm not saying that we do not show love to one another. Because I, I believe this congregation is one of the love most loving and the friendliest congregations I've been in. So don't get me wrong there. All right. But what I'm saying is, are we known for that? But when you're saying you're so you're saying the English translation of the Bible is false. I'm saying that the word they used is incorrect, is a substitution. They used a word that meant physical building or physical location, and what God was talking about was a movement of people. Now, in, in the very first translation from whatever to whatever to whatever, but that's what's wonderful about the modern day technology and modern day research. We can go back and check those and make sure, right? I wonder that sometimes. And I wonder if maybe that's why the church is the way sometimes it is today. Now, to say that this is all completely wrong and the Bible is completely wrong, I'm not saying that. I'm saying the way that word was translated. Now, we've taken it to mean church as in a group of people. We've taken that meaning. But what I'm trying to make people understand is back then, they knew what that word meant when it was translated that way. <laughs> we know better. But do we? Go ahead. Yes. Does that mean the call or the saints? No, ecclesia means gathering of people. It was used in many different terms to describe a group of people that were gathered together for a specific purpose. So they may not have been saved. Well, when, when, when God was talking about his ecclesia, his movement, then yes, he's talking about the saved. He's talking about establishing his people, his group, his movement, it was, a, it was a active, moving thing. It was not meant to look like or have the description around a physical location. Speak the truth. Oh. Yeah. Well, also, Chad, you know, in Hebrews it talks about, you know, a peculiar people, you know, which Ecclesia or like the Lord, you know, used his people, his people you know, the call out, so to speak, the gathering and everything, you know, talking about, the, you know, church, if we know it today in this country, you know, I've heard people here, you know, uh, whether it's on Facebook or whether person to person, whatever, I've heard people refer to this as our church mm -hmm. or my church. I mean, and that's that's dangerous right there because that falls into the same way, the way that the world uh, um, defines church today. Right. You know, so you have to be real careful with that. And, and the foundation of that has come out of that translation. Yes, sir. And, and that's my point. And, and again, don't, I'm not saying that the Bible is wrong. I'm saying the interpretation there, there was, a, there was a substitution there instead of what it should have said. And there's reasons behind that. All right? Humans translated the Bible into English, and not of them were perfect. Now, that doesn't change who we are and what we're supposed to do. But if you look at it the way it needs to be looked at, 
then it changes a whole lot of what we do and what we are to be. All right, I'm way over, so we'll stop there. <laughs>